Austin. And before we get started, uh, we have a few Patreons to shout out, of course. So here we go. Anita Glowalla. Whoa. Amber Parsley. Cool, Amber. Christina Young. Dope, Christina. Oh, man. Rhea Crowder. Hell yeah, Crowder. Jessica Ortega. Okay, Jessica. Kelly Miller. Kelly. And Tiffany Solace. All right. So. um, All ladies today. Yes. And I think Patreons are 95% ladies. I think so, too. 5% They're probably dudes. just here for you. Oh, I'm sure of it. <laughs> um, so, speaking of Patreons, so October was like a slow month for Mama Mystery, okay? We're not denying it. We had a lot going on. Y'all already know, okay? But to make up for that, um, this month we're sending you guys... Four stickers. You get a bonus. Instead of three. So normally you get three. This month you get four. That's one extra. And they are really cool. So I hope you guys love them. I love you. So I keep that's... getting pissed off at Kelly because she doesn't write Mama Mystery on them. Yeah, I need to start adding So you guys Mama put Mystery them on your stickers. cool tumblers and stuff and you go in public and there's no recognition. And people are just like, oh, that's a cool sticker. And then... That's where it ends. Nobody ever hears about Mama Mystery. So... Represent Mama Mystery if somebody says something, but they're going to say Mama Mystery in the future, or I'm going to quit the podcast. Um. Okay. Anyway, also before we get started, I want to tell you a story. So, Austin, do you believe in ghosts? Yes. You really do? Yes. Okay. So, do you? Oh, heck yes. Okay. I, in fact, have two ghost stories for you today. They're real stories, too. Okay. Okay. Kelly's been saving this story. She's been excited. Okay. So the first one I'm going to tell you is about my own mom. She's a ghost. (laughs) Right on. So um, my mom, for those of you who don't know, passed away in 2014. And she was a wild woman. She had a um, Woody the Woodpecker tattoo on her hip. I don't even, I don't know. Oh, I know this story. This story's crazy. I don't know why she got it. I probably don't want to know why she got it. She kind of liked to party, so I don't really want to know why she had Woody the Woodpecker on her hip. But anyway, she would always do the Woody the Woodpecker laugh, which, if you don't know, goes like this. <laughs> Just like that. Because if she would do it really, really loud. Okay, so... This is so freaking weird. One of my best friends, her name is Ashley. She listens to this podcast. I love you, Ashley. Her son, Atticus, who I absolutely adore, um, one day I picked her up, and the second Atticus got into my car, he did the Woody the Woodpecker laugh. And Ashley had never heard him do that before. He had never seen the cartoon, which, by the way, is an old cartoon. I mean, it's not a current cartoon. Mm -hmm. And then after that, he never did it again. Until they just bought our old house and like the house we just moved out of, they bought it, just moved in. The night they moved in, Atticus started doing the laugh again. And he is only five. He's five years old. He's doing this Woody the Woodpecker laugh out of nowhere. So Ashley was like, Kelly, I need you to tell your mom that you have moved and take her with you. So weird. So weird. It's freaking crazy. But I totally believe it. I mean, she was ornery, so it wouldn't surprise me if she was still hanging out in that house. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other story I was going to tell you. Okay, so you know Aaron, 
who works for you. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Aaron was telling me this story the other day, and I don't know, he probably doesn't listen to this. So hopefully I tell this story right, but he was talking about how he used to work at the rec center. So we have like this local rec center, it's got basketball courts and it's got a gym and it's got like two floors to it, right? So I guess he showed up to work at the rec center and he was one of the first guys there to open the, the place, right? And when he was in there, he heard somebody slap the window like... I, I guess you just heard this loud bang, like somebody slapped the window, right? And when he went to go see what it was, he was the only one there. He was the first one there. He unlocked the place himself. When he went to see what it was, there was a handprint on the um, window, and it had like a streak coming down it, like someone ran their hand down the window. And he's like, okay, I'm not doing this. I'm not messing with this. He waited for the janitor to get there. And when the janitor went outside to wipe the handprint off the window, it didn't come off because it was from the inside. Really? <laughs> yes. You're looking at me like I'm crazy, but yeah. he literally just told me and Brandon this story the other day. That's wild. I don't know about that, Aaron. Austin, it happened. It happened. I'm sure of it. I was there. I believe him. He also had another story, but I won't I won't go there. This is not a just a scary story podcast. I just had to say that because those stories are crazy. And if you believe in ghosts and if you have like a cool story, a ghost story. Send it to us. Please send it to me because I think that stuff is so interesting. I believe in it. I believe in them. I think it's crazy. That one sounds out there. I think the ones where it's like, and we'll save this one for another time, but like the cell phone one from your mom. Oh, yeah. Like, like I think I think part of, okay, this is going to get deep, okay? I think part of like ghosts and spirits are you having faith. And so I think that when like a ghost or a spirit will manipulate technology or electronics Mm -hmm. because then it i don't know it's things that in frequencies and it's things that make you things that make you like say it's things that are easily like oh that could have easily been whatever you know what i mean yeah Yeah. so that way you don't have faith in it like i don't know it's similar to religion i guess i don't know i am very cynical i am like a cynical i need it to make sense for me to believe in it like so it's a show me state after all (laughs) There is a show me state. I know. Okay. Go ahead. Anyway, um, I just, <clears throat> I don't know. There's something about me, though, that just like wholeheartedly believes in this because I do believe that there's something bigger than this life that I don't know. Like, and I, I mean, that's a deeper conversation for another day, but let's dive into the um, show. But I, I do believe in it for sure. Yeah, I do for too. Sure I do. So yeah, if you have a cool story you want to share, please send it my way. If I think it's cool enough, I'll share it. <laughs> <laughs> that sounded so bad. Okay. Anyway, so today we are going to update you guys on the Gabby Petito and Brian Laundry case. Yeah, I've been waiting for this update because I didn't read anything because you told me not to, and now I've been curious. So Yes, and I have had people ask me about this. Um, I had one source who told me that um, she was working with a um, like a deputy in, in a county near ours, okay? Um, we live in northwest... Uh, Northwest Missouri, and so this was like a county in Northwest Missouri, that apparently Brian Laundrie's cell phone pinged before Gabby's body was ever found. His cell phone pinged in that county, like off really? of a road in that county, but I don't have any just other... driving inf- through or something? Yeah, just probably, probably driving. Probably driving back. 
Assuming, yeah. So to think he was like that close is really spooky. But um, so I wrote this episode on October 22nd. That's how long I've been waiting for Austin to sit down and record with me. So you can blame him for that. But anyway, I wrote this on October 22nd. And the day before I wrote this, there was a huge bombshell update in the Gabby Petito and Brian Laundrie case. Um, But before I get into exactly what happened that day, it's important to just review really quick the timeline leading up to it. So I'm going to be super fast. September 11th, Gabby's family reported her missing. September 19th, Gabby was found in the Grand Teton National Park in Wyoming. And we discuss all those details um, on episode 78. And in a little bit of the beginning of episode 79. So if you want a detailed recount of everything that happened, listen to those two episodes. But it is important to remember the following events that happened during that nine-day period while Gabby was missing, okay? Because it's all going to tie into the update. So first of all, Brian showed up back in Florida in Gabby's van but without Gabby on September 1st. So if or when Brian's parents ever asked where Gabby was, what exactly did he tell them? Because the following week, he was on vacation with his parents and sister Cassie and Cassie's kids. And they were taking pictures, smiling, having this like grand old time. Right after he got back. Right after he got back, Gabby is not around. Cassie has done interviews where she has said she never even thought to ask about Gabby. But I think that's weird because Brian and Gabby lived together at Brian's house. So, or like at his parents' house. I mean, they were engaged. Like, how do you just not ask where your significant other is? I said on the first freaking episode, his parents were in on this shit. Yeah. So... Anyway, he's taking pictures with Cassie's kids, and um, because we now know what he did, he strangled Gabby to death that last week of August before driving back to Florida. He acted like nothing happened, as it would appear in these photos. So in an attempt to understand what may have happened during that time, in my opinion, it is most plausible to me that if Brian's parents asked where Gabby was, he probably told them you know, maybe he told them they broke up and that she went back to be with her family in New York. That is like the only thing I can think of to give them just a tiny bit of credit. Like if they really didn't know, maybe Brian just lied to him. I mean, it's not that far-fetched. No, I think that's reasonable. Yeah. At that timeline, that point in the timeline. Yeah. And in an interview with Good Good Morning America, Cassie said that their time together as a family at Fort Fort DeSoto Park um, in Florida was very routine. She said, quote, we just went for a couple hours, ate dinner, had s'mores around the campfire, and then we left. It was just a routine visit, end quote. There was no grand farewell. There was no sentimental value really to this visit. Um, Brian was out there with his parents. Cassie only came to stay for like that afternoon and dinner and then left. So that's all we really know about that vacation so far. Sounds believable. Sure. But then the week after that, Gabby's family, after repeated attempts to contact Brian and his family to figure out where the hell she was, 
They officially report her as a missing person. So obviously the jig is up. Something has happened and surely by this point, Brian's parents have to know that he's not telling them the full story. Especially once she's reported missing. Yes. Yeah. So this is the crucial point for me anyway. This moment right here. Did Brian maybe lie at first, but then once she's reported missing, did he finally open up and admit what happened to his parents? Because Brian and his parents' behavior after this crucial point has been super suspicious. That's what I think happened already. I'm telling you that. Yeah. And we don't even know for sure. So this is still just speculation. I'm just kind of giving my opinion on what I think is the most plausible thing. So the day Gabby was reported missing, cops showed up at the laundry house and were met with Brian's parents who refused to answer any questions and handed them the contact information to their lawyer, Stephen Bertolino. And it's important to note that the cops never actually saw Brian that day. So we don't even know if at this point Brian was even in the house. But his parents had to know that the cops were coming because they were prepared to hand over Stephen Bertolino's information. So, like, why had they already obtained a lawyer unless Brian had to have told them something happened? Right. Right? So, a little on Stephen Bertolino. He's been practicing law since 1994 in Long Island, which is where both Gabby and Brian grew up. Even though his family now lives in Florida, Brian and his family live in Florida. But according to his firm's website, he has practiced various types of law, including real estate law, civil and commercial litigation, and personal injury law. But since he became involved with this case, supporters of Gabby flooded his Yelp reviews with nasty reviews. And honestly, he didn't really do himself any favors when it came to gaining any likability because he advised Brian and his family not to talk to absolutely anyone about where Gabby was, which... Because he probably knew what happened. Yeah, which, which may have Which been we've his talked job. about this. Hold on. We've talked about this. Mm-hmm. And I'm so curious. If anybody out there is a freaking defense attorney for stuff like this, tell us. I'm so curious all the time as to whether he sat down and told his attorney, yeah, I killed her, and now help me out, or if he if they lied to him. I always wonder, mm-hmm. like, like did, they can never did tell Casey you. Anthony tell the guy, listen, I killed that kid, mm-hmm. figure it out. Yeah. Or does he say, does he say no, here's my alibi, because I got to think they tell him the truth. You would have to... And it's crazy because it would make them an accomplice, wouldn't it? But then, no, because no, the, the law and blah, blah, No, because there's like a... I can't think of the name of it Some off the top act of my or head. Something. But there is like a privacy, um, a freedom of like private information act between a lawyer and its client. So like whatever the client says to the lawyer, the lawyer legally cannot like defend them in a way that they don't want to be defended. They can't admit anything that that client has said until after that client is dead. I've seen that happen before, um, but see, so I'm. I mean, so I'm. My, the answer is probably that they know, but I'm always likely, just. I'm always just I mean, so curious. Yeah, they would never be able to really fully come out and say it, I guess. But like with Jose Baez and Casey Anthony, you would have to think that. Her alibi changed multiple times. Her story changed multiple times. I think at some point, Jose Baez and maybe Stephen Bertolino was like, look, you are essentially fucked. And here's how I'm going to do my best to get you out of it. But you have to go along with this story. And I need you to cooperate with me if you Uh want me to get you out of this. Right? That's 
that's the only thing I can think of that happens in situations like that. And, you know, maybe that's his job as a lawyer, right? But as a person, it makes you really shitty. And I don't think any of this um, experience uh, that he had before this really prepared him for such a high-profile case. Maybe Jose Baez would have been a better choice, who was actually pretty close to where they lived. Um, But anyway... So the laundries hand over Bertolino's info, and then allegedly on the 14th, three days later, Brian tells his parents that he's going to the Carlton Reserve to hike, which is a 25,000-acre nature park near their home, okay? It's larger than the city of Manhattan, okay? It's huge. But here's the problem with that, or I guess multiple problems with that. So first of all, Brian's parents didn't tell law enforcement that Brian left and that he hadn't been back for three whole days. Okay, so when there is like active... An investigation going on. Yes, and there's a missing person. Who's the suspect. Well, well he wasn't technically, but I get... No, but I'm talking about Gabby. Oh, like, gotcha. Gabby is gone, and now Brian's... And you wait three days to let the police know, like, hey, now our son start. is gone. Yeah. They didn't notify the police until the 17th that they hadn't seen him since earlier that week. And they initially reported that they had found the family's silver Mustang convertible there at the park before they ever notified police. But they left it there, thinking that Brian would just come back and use it to come home, right? Then they went back out the next day and noticed that there was an abandoned vehicle citation on the windshield, which Northport police confirmed was placed on that car. But at the time, they didn't know that Brian was the one that drove it there. So the next day, the parents go back to the park. The car is still there. So they drive the car home, still without informing police that it's even there or that Brian hasn't been seen in three days or I guess at this point it would have been like two days, the 16th came and went without any sign of Brian, and still it wasn't until the day after that, so, the 17th, that they finally reported Brian missing to authorities. So he gets a three-day head start, they recover his car for him, and then they say, oh, by the way, we thought he was in his bedroom. <laughs> yeah. But he's actually, so he's in the Carlton Reserve. Yeah, exactly. And we saw his car there a few days ago, but we just thought maybe he'd come back and use it to come home. Yeah. What the hell? So later, the laundries changed their recollection of events to say that Brian actually went missing on the 13th, not the 14th. But this wasn't until after people started calling them out for having a story that didn't make sense. Brian's sister, Cassie, started cooperating with FBI, and the FBI started pressing their, recollec- their recollection of events because— Oh, so they're all sitting around the, the sofa in the living room with the FBI going, Now that I think of it, honey, you hadn't seen him on Tuesday, right? Yeah, because here's the thing. People, protesters, news media, they had all been camped out in front of the laundry home for a while at that point and had been watching them like hawks. And they knew when the Mustang was and wasn't there— Cameras had been set up. Allegedly, there were even cameras set up by the Northport police in a neighbor's house to run 24-7 surveillance on their home. But then, of course, they come out later and they're like, well, we may have mistaken Brian for Roberta, which is his freaking mother, as the one driving the Mustang. I mean, like this story has been so mishandled. This whole story has been so mishandled. And if you're confused at this point, so am I. So is everyone. I don't know how it's gotten to this point. 
I, I just don't know. But regardless, even if that were the case, right, they should have known if there was surveillance, they should have known that every move the laundries made would be recorded. They should have seen exactly when Brian left. So I think they're just kind of covering their tracks to say, well, we thought we saw Brian leave, but I guess it was actually Roberta, his mother. Anyway, I just, regardless of all of that, when your kid goes missing, how do you not know without a shadow of a doubt what day you saw them last? Mm -hmm. Especially in the midst of such a high profile situation. Yeah. Okay. So once Brian was finally reported missing, a search began at the Carlton Reserve and Gabby's family and the Northport police um, publicly pleaded with the laundries to cooperate with authorities. But unfortunately, their pleas fell on deaf ears as Stephen Bertolino advised his clients not to talk to absolutely anyone. And you have to remember, at this particular point, Gabby still had not been found. She was missing, and her remains weren't found until September 19th, which was two days after Brian was reported missing. So once her remains were found, and it was determined that her manner of death was homicide, um, it just confirmed what most people already knew in their bones and fueled their rage towards the laundries. I mean... I think you'd have to be kind of naive to believe that maybe Gabby was still alive at that point. I think everyone kind of knew what was coming. So the search for Brian persisted for weeks with reported sightings occurring almost every day, it seemed like. Tips poured in with snapshots of Brian lookalikes creeping through backyards or woods at night. You couldn't be a bald-headed, bearded man in America without people thinking that you were Brian Laundry. And in fact, there was one report that I just now remembered of a guy that was staying in a hotel. Someone alleged that it was Brian Laundry, and these, I guess it was like a SWAT team, burst through his hotel oh my and tried to arrest this guy, and it wasn't him. Oh, man. I mean, can you imagine? That's like, crazy. There's been TikTok accounts. Um, there's one guy that his account name is not Brian Laundry, and he's making these posts like, what do I tell people who <clears throat> think I'm Brian Laundry? Like, I can't even go out in public. That's wild. So authorities really kept their focus on the Carlton Reserve, but let me just put this in perspective for you because this reserve is huge. It's almost 40 square miles of swampy, densely wooded forest home to alligators, black bears, panthers, coyotes, bobcats, snakes, and tons of other dangerous wildlife. And it has more than 80 miles of hiking trails. And there is a 12-mile trail that connects the Carlton Reserve to the Mayaka River State Park, which will come in handy later. But um, then Dog the Bounty Hunter got involved. This dude just wanted press. I saw this crap where he was like, I'm closing in on him. I'll be catching him within an hour. Yes. I was like... If this actually happens, I will be completely floored. Like, yeah, dude. I will admit, I kind of gave in to the excitement of that when he was like, we've got some really good evidence of where he's at. We're closing in. We should have him within the next couple of hours. I was watching my phone for Twitter updates like a hawk. I was like, please find him. Please find him. I didn't him. think, when I saw it, I just thought, this dude is really trying to get another few minutes of fame out of his life on the back of this case. Serious. Yeah. I didn't believe it at all. So, I mean, there was hope, but yes, I had hope and I think it was just desperate hope that I had Mm -hmm. because at this point I was so tired of seeing the daily updates 
um, of being the exact same thing every single day. I was like, give me something new. I was just desperate that I thought, man, if Dog the Bounty Hunter really cracks this case, I I mean, of course and it would end dog. like that. <laughs> of course it would end like that. But um, anyway, I, I did think that maybe he had the resources that could actually help locate him. So I just kind of sat and waited it out thinking, let's just see how this unfolds. But nothing really came of his search. He claimed that he had viable leads. But at the end of the day, it was not Dog the Bounty Hunter that found Brian. It wasn't even the authorities who ultimately found Brian. It was another, none other than Brian's parents. No way. Who found Brian. No way. Yes. See, I freaking didn't read this all this time because you told me not to. I knew everything up to this point. Yes. So Brian's parents, who up until this point remained completely silent and essentially uninvolved in the search for Brian, were the ones who finally found Brian. On what date? This would have been October 21st. So, all right, keep going. <laughs> now, they, I'm, now I'm anxious. They spent most days hiding out in their house, leaving to run quick errands, braving the protesters by mowing their yard in the midst of all the signs and blowhorns and yelling that was going on around them. Like at that point, why not just pay someone else to mow your yard? Like you're just like getting in their faces. Like, I don't know. I just thought that was kind of bold. They spent time tending their garden in their backyard. Like, who gives a fuck about a garden when your son is missing? I don't know. Whatever. Every once in a while, FBI or police would show up at their house, come inside and talk, and maybe gather some belongings of Brian's to assist in their search. But it wasn't until October 20th, okay, more than a month since Brian went missing and the day after, okay, one day after the park had been finally reopened to the public. Because at this point, the park had been completely shut down up until the 20th. And then finally it reopens to the public, okay? Then his parents, Chris and Roberta, they, they, they let the police know, like, hey, we're going to be there in the morning. We're going to help you guys look. And they, After they've been searching all this time. After the police had been searching for weeks. And they okay? walked him right down. They go out and in less than... Two hours, Austin, Chris Laundry, Brian's dad, finds a backpack. And in the backpack is a notebook of Brian's. So the parents... So people have been searching this place, yes. scavenging it for a week. Yes. A week. And then this guy walks out and goes, hot dog, guys, found a backpack. Yeah. I guess they were walking along a, along a trail with another investigator. So it was like Brian's parents and someone else. And then... Um, Chris kind of veered off the trail for like 12 minutes and came back with a backpack and was like, hey, this is Brian's. And there's a notebook inside. And we don't know officially the condition of the notebook, but I'm sure they're trying to handle it carefully to see if there's anything in the notebook that maybe Brian wrote. But anyway, he hands the notebook to investigators, or the not the notebook, backpack. but the backpack. Um, and then they leave. And... They leave less than two hours after they even arrived, and then cadaver dogs are brought in, and sure enough, skeletal remains were found in that exact same area, and then the next day, they were confirmed to be partial remains of Brian Laundrie. So, what a crock of shit. So here's the discrepancies with that. We don't know exactly what was found of Brian Laundrie, okay? So, so he's not guaranteed dead. That is the argument. People 
Okay, so he it, it said that remains were found and compared to dental records, which leads you to believe that it was either teeth or part of his jawbone or maybe even part of his skull that was compared to dental x-rays. Because if you've ever gone to a dentist's office and they take an x-ray, it's not just, they're not just comparing your teeth impressions, right? They're comparing an x-ray of your skull. And your sinus cavity and the formation of your skull is almost like you know, so unique as like a fingerprint. So it, it's not as unique, but it helps identify remains. So I, again, though, I don't know what was found of him. Was it just teeth? Was it a jawbone? Was it part of his skull? I don't know. Was it a finger? Definitely not a finger. I mean, I, not that I have heard anyway, but, um, there was also a DNA test done on these remains, and the DNA test ruled inconclusive. So it didn't say that it was 100% Brian Laundry. It didn't say it was somebody else. It just said inconclusive. And a lot of people are in up in arms over that because they believe some people are literally like, okay, did his parents just go sprinkle some wisdom teeth out in the field and then call it good? And they actually know he's down in Mexico sipping on my ties? Like, we don't know. So a lot of people, just with the whole way this whole case has turned out, of course people are skeptical. So anyway, this particular area, too, I want you to keep in mind, was an area that up until recently was underwater. So the fact that they found the backpack and a reportedly salvageable notebook is truly mind-blowing. And the Mayakahatchee, I hope I pronounced that right, Creek, is actually adjacent to the Carlton Reserve. It's not part of the reserve. It's actually southeast of the reserve where the search had been going on for weeks. So what on earth would prompt the laundries to say, hey, today's the day we're going to finally go out together and look for our son, but we're not going to look where y'all have been looking. We're actually going to look over here. And oh, how about that? Within minutes, we found something. Was that place closed off during the whole week? It was closed off along with everything else, I believe. And then once it was reopened, the day after that is when the parents went out. So to me, first of all... It all sounds like such crap. It is so coincidental, okay? And we were just talking about like, you know, spirits and ghosts and like making it make sense. Make this make sense because this is too coincidental to be real. I just, I cannot, I cannot wrap my head around it. I refuse to accept it. There's got to be more. So is that the, that's just the end? Do you have nothing else? Um, I have a little bit more, (laughs) but that is essentially So like his parents aren't suspects or anything? No, they haven't been charged with anything. Accessory, anything? Well, no, because they can't prove that. There's no proof There's only speculation and assumptions. And also, Brian was never formally charged with anything having to do with Gabby as far as her death. He was charged and a warrant was out for his arrest because he had used Gabby's debit card to withdraw $1,000 to fund his trip back to Florida. So it was like misuse of of someone else's account, essentially. Yeah. So... Okay, it has been reported that Brian had a gun with him when he left his house for the last time. So I think it's safe to assume that if his remains were found and he is dead, he probably took his own life. 
But when there are only skeletal remains behind, it can be difficult to determine the cause of death if there isn't damage to the skull, like a bullet hole, for example. And they won't tell us what the skeletal remains are? No, not Why? yet. I don't know. I mean, probably because it's still part of the investigation, or maybe I just haven't found it yet. Um, but the reason I bring this up is because there were theories swirling around that he had been hiding in the reserve, surviving on his own, which would raise questions about the possibility of an accidental death or a drowning or dehydration. Because if the show Naked and Afraid has taught me anything over the years, it's that one, a fire is essential to boiling and purifying water that is safe enough to drink. And those reserves were definitely wet. So there's no way he could have started and maintained a fire out of nature, I guess. I mean, unless he had just like a lighter and was just, that wouldn't, that wouldn't work. Mm -hmm. But rainfall caused water levels to rise. And so that obviously would have made it impossible to start and maintain a fire. So could he have drowned? Sure. Could he have succumbed to starvation or dehydration? Sure. Could he have been bitten by some sort of poisonous animal and succumbed to that? Sure. Um, but is it as likely as him just taking the easy way out and shooting himself before authorities had a chance to actually make him pay for what he did to Gabby? Probably not. And, and I mean, I think it's very clear his parents were in on this. Oh, I think it's very clear that his parents have been not only in on this, but culpable of raising a woman-beating coward who essentially died a coward taking his own life before owning up to what he did. His parents are probably the type of parents who fought for their kids to receive a participation trophy and never actually made him, like, own up to anything. It's weird to think about if he is still alive. I, what I, do you think he is? I don't know. I, it's hard for me to say without knowing exactly what they found. My gut leads me to believe that he is not still alive, but, right. I mean, crazier things have happened in this case. This case has taken such weird turns that it's kind of like, I mean, I guess that could happen. Dog the Bounty Hunter gets involved and starts spreading messages via airplane with one of those tails that's like, Aloha, Brian. Dog the Bounty Hunter. Like, just swirling around Florida. I mean, like, crazier things have happened in this case. Um, and so here are my final thoughts, okay, on the outcome of this story. Brian's parents are grieving, sure. There have been a small percentage of people who argue that they deserve sympathy for what they're going through. And here's the thing. I consider myself, and Austin, I think you would agree, that I am a very sympathetic, com compassionate person, mm -hmm. almost to a fault sometimes. Mm -hmm. But I have Zero sympathy for what they are dealing with right now because they had so many opportunities to do the right thing to help Gabby's family, who is ultimately the true victim in this story. They had an opportunity to make their son do what was right, to tell the authorities that Gabby's or Gabby's family absolutely anything and everything they knew to help find Gabby. But they chose to stay silent. They put themselves first, and now they're last. So, justice for Gabby, I'm out. Whoa, mic drop. <laughs> My goodness. That's all I got. That's I'm a, done. That's a crazy case. Dirty laundry. Super sad. Super, super sad. And it's crazy that it's all played out like this, but I think... I mean, unless he's found alive, I doubt I'll talk about it again. 
because not much is really left to talk about. They're both gone now, so. Mama. Mystery. Out. <laughs>